Well, good morning, church. Yeah, everybody's kind of like, oh gosh, what is he going to do now? Yeah, no. Uh, hey, I want to welcome those that are online, and I especially want to welcome our folks at Fredericksburg. Uh, as Iris said, we do have some really great news. If you have not seen the multiple uh, postings that we have on uh, our webpage and social media and things like that, we have a new senior pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Really excited I get to share that news with you. Adam Sauer uh, and his family will be joining us probably around the 14th of August. Uh, they'll be officially on campus here, and they'll be moving from Little Rock, Arkansas to Stafford, Virginia, and from somebody who did that, I went to school in Arkansas and then moved here to Stafford. <gasps> yeah, it was culture shock. Um, and so he's going to go through that, and his family's going to go through that. And so I'm just going to ask that you all would please, please, please continue or be in, start being in prayer for Adam and Kristen and the boys as they begin this transition. It is going to be a whirlwind for them over the next six weeks. And all of a sudden, they're going to be here in what I like to call a vortex of busyness, which is Northern Virginia. All right, so again, we're so excited to be able to do that. We have a great day planned for you. As you can see, I'm not just going to have snacks here, okay? We're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, towards the end of this service. Uh, we're also going to celebrate baptisms today, which I love doing, all right? Baptisms will be after the second service here at uh, the Stafford campus around 1230 outside. At Fredericksburg, you all get to celebrate those immediately following this service. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor John, why are there two chairs out here? I realize I've lost some weight, but I only need one. The second chair is for somebody we cannot get enough of because he's the nicest guy on the face of the earth that I know of. Lou, bonne me. Come on, baby. Come on. Now, in the first service, there was a point, uh, as Lou and I were sharing some points, I almost kind of slid off the chair and just started to go for the exit over there because the boy was preaching. And I know we're going to get some of that today. So I'm so excited that you're here with us. I'm so excited I did not wear my floral print shirt as well as you. It would have been too much. The people on the front row would have got sick and thrown up. But anyways, um, listen, we are, uh, it, there's no irony. There's absolutely no irony in this. But uh, a number of weeks ago, Pastor Jason and I, uh, we were sitting down and we were kind of mapping out this whole family matters thing. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was unity. And uh, though it is not one of our core values that we have written down, it is an implied core value. And we think it's so important. And then with everything that has transpired over the course of this week, this has been a tumultuous week within our country, again, all right, that is causing all sorts of fracture and fractions within the country and is causing the very opposite of unity, of course, is disunity. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, but this disunity, I mean, let's face it, we've, we've had two major topics that we don't even talk about within families, gun control issues and abortion. Now, I will tell you, 
Uh, I am excited the steps that have been taken in regards to repealing Roe v. Wade. All right, yep. Yeah. This is my real concern for us as a church, though, that we can become haughty with this and think, well, we won. And that makes us no different than those that feel like they have lost, and it causes all of this. And as we look at this idea of unity, I think that the very core of this is that unity is completely brought together and the glue that holds it together is that of love and the love of Jesus. And let's face it, this abortion issue is painful for a number of people. There are those even within our church that carry this weight of it, but then there's also people that are rejoicing in all of this. And so we need to be mindful of other people and love them where they are. All right. It is the model that Jesus gives us. Now, as we were looking at this passage, we began to look at it, uh, uh, Jason and I, myself, Lou and I, we started looking at Where's the, one of the greatest passages about unity? Well, of course, it's in the priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. And uh, this whole idea in this passage, in, in, in fact, and Lou, you're going to talk about this. I think it's chapters 15 and 16 are very much a sermon because he is. He's teaching his disciples. And then in chapter 17, we see where Jesus is in the garden and he is praying for himself. And the large, the large part of that prayer that I love that Jesus continues to say, and it's even covered in the synoptic gospels, is Jesus saying, I don't want any part of this cup, but yet not my will, your will be done. And then Jesus not only goes on in John 17, but he begins to speak about the disciples, that they would be protected. And then ultimately he comes, we come to this passage here in John 17, 20 through 26 that we're gonna look at today. And the prayer is really for us. I think it's important though, and Lou, I know you've, you've put a lot of work into this and some things that you wanna talk about, but I think it's so important that though I've given you a highlight of what John 17 is, let's get more of the, the background, more of the context in what Jesus is doing here. And then we're gonna kinda, actually you and I are gonna have a conversation and we're gonna let approximately a thousand of our closest friends listen in, okay? Yeah, don't interrupt though, all right, no. <laughs> Nah. Lou, give us, give us some background. Give us some additional background about John 17. If you've got this, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 17. Again, we're going to be in verses really 20 through 26. I know we were going to kind of bounce around a little bit, but it'll also be on the screens as well. No, this is a great story, John. And it's sort of to set it up. And I, I, I love what you, what you said. The prayer was one where Jesus set up an opportunity to tell or teach the disciples that he was protecting them from what was to come or what was coming. Yeah. Um, and so really trying to protect the unity of the church, unity of the disciples and the unity of us as believers when he prays for us in verse 20 uh, through 26. But let's set this up real quick. Because in this day, 
he would be considered a rogue rabbi. Oh, absolutely. Right? Huh. So what happens to a rogue rabbi? Oh, they, they put him on the cross. Persecuted. Soon to follow, he knows that his disciples would suffer the same fate. But that's where the prayer comes in. He's like, Lord, protect these who you've given me, mm -hmm. and then protect you, us, yeah. the church. So I think it's very important for us to, to really understand that um, before diving into this. And, and, and what's, what's so great about chapter 16 is this. We see the Lord Jesus appear or function as the Lord of armies. Because here's what he's also telling the disciples. Look, there is about to be a violent battle between heaven and hell. In Genesis 3, 6, and 15, when Satan was in the garden and he deceived man and Eve, he said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Mm -hmm. And he said, that seed will crush your head and bruise his heel. Mm. His heel only bruised because he crushed Satan's head. So he's got an ouchie, an owie. We have kids in the room. All right? So Jesus got an owie for crushing the head of Satan. But that's where our victory is. And that's where he was trying to shift their perspective to say, listen, you're going to mourn this moment. Mm -hmm. You're going to grieve this moment, but I need to let you know, although I can't give you it all in, 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 in detail, I can't give you everything. But here's what I need you to understand. In retrospect, you will catch on to the discussion we're having right now, this moment. And when the time comes, you will understand. Now, now, we talked about this as we, as we were working on this, that, you know, three times in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is telling the disciples, yeah. hey, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I am going to die. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back. And they never understood that. But again, and in John's Gospel, it's a little bit more masked, but this is what he is telling them and is, listen, I'm going away. Right. And they're like, what? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's in, in chapter 16, they, they sat there not really understanding what was going on. Like, okay, you keep saying you're going away. And they turned to each other like, dude, what are you talking about? You know what he's yeah, talking about? I don't know what dude, he's talking you know about. Yeah, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really and Jesus wish interrupts he and he's like, hold on, stop. Parables. Yeah. You still don't know what's going on? Let me say it plainly to you. I am about to die. I will leave you. And they're like, whoa, no, 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 wait, 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 you can't die. No, 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 look. You consider it something negative. You consider it something that um, is a detriment to you, but really it's joy. It will bring joy. It will bring salvation. It will bring reconciliation. All those things, he couldn't spell it out there, but he just said in one word, listen, it'll bring you joy one day. But here's what I need you to understand. I need your mindset to be such that you understand that there is an enemy who's against you. Mm. We need to understand as believers, here's Jesus telling us here, that, there, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood as Paul tells us in Ephesians, but against principalities, powers, and rulers in dark places. So when that happens to the body of believers, knowing that Satan can use us against each other, 
right, the world against us in many ways, just as he used Judas mm -hmm. in the 12, yeah. right? It also tells us to be careful because there might be some among us who aren't believers. Yeah. And this is the part that I love about this prayer. I, I'm amazed that 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is actually praying for you and I, for us. Uh, and he knew the divisions. He knew the persecutions that would be coming towards us. And, but yet he said, listen, I need for these, God, Father, I need for them to understand how important it is, even in the face of trials and everything, that they stay united. Now, I know you, that you're, you're a huge prize fight, in, uh, prize fight yeah. enthusiast. <laughs> Not that you like to step in the ring. You don't mind watching <laughs> other people get beat up, but right. yeah, okay. No, no, yeah. I mean, because it, it's, it's amazing because as I read through this, I thought about prize fighting. And I said, wait, Jesus is his, is his own announcer in this moment, right? Because what, 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 because what, what, what okay, so what happens? You announce the weight class, right? You announce his record, right? But Jesus in this moment, he's like, listen, no need to announce what I weigh at this moment, my height at this moment, what my record is, because you can't understand it. Even before Pilate, Pilate was like, don't you know I'm, I, I have the power to release you? Jesus is like, no, you don't. No. You have no power. We could, they couldn't understand it at that moment, but I love the way Matthew Henry does this in his commentary. Yes, I, yeah, I, this is where I'm going to slide away because, brother, you started bringing it. You started bringing it. This is so good because this part of unity that they're talking about uh, and that Jesus is going, hey, I'm giving you guys the big picture here, okay? There is about, literally, there is going to be a battle between good and evil, and it is a 15-round prize fight. Okay, and the blows are gonna be extensive. And what I love here in just a moment, I'm gonna let you, I don't wanna steal all your thunder, but I'll tell you what, Satan thinks he's won. He thinks he's got Jesus on the ropes and Jesus is covering up and all of that. No, he's not. No, he's not. Go ahead, brother, bring it, bring so it, bring here's it. the way Matthew Henry in his commentary puts it. I'm gonna stand up for this because <laughs> that's what announcers do, right? They stand up. Let me back up this chair real quick. Katie, I'm oh, sorry. I, I said I was gonna to stick to my chair. That's why they gave yeah. me a chair because they knew I would move around. <laughs> and there's probably some bets like, when, when will Lou stand up and move around? So I'm sorry, Katie, somebody lost a bet. All right, so here we go. <laughs> All right, here's what Jesus is doing in chapter 17. He's announcing the fight that's about to happen. He says, the hour is come in the midst of which I need to be owned. Now is the hour when the grand affair come to a crisis. After many skirmishes, the decisive battle between heaven and hell is now to be fought. And that great cause in which God honors and man's happiness are brought together, embarked, must now be either won or lost forever. Now two champions, David and Goliath, Michael and the dragon, are now entering the list. The trumpet sounds for an engagement that will be irretrievably fatal. Ooh, we Either to one or the other. Jesus says in chapter 17, now, Father, glorify your son. Now give him glory over principalities and powers. Now let the bruising of his heel be the breaking of the serpent's head. Now let your son be so held up 
as to not fail or be discouraged. The hour, the hour is near in which I expect to be crowned. That belt, right? That belt, that belt, that belt. The hour has come when I am to be glorified and set at your right hand between him and that glory. It was a bloody scene of suffering, but short. He speaks of it in this chapter as if he's making light of it, but he's not. He says, the hour has come for I must be glorified. And he didn't expect it till then. So what is he saying to the church? What is Jesus saying to the church at that very moment? What is he saying to his disciples at that moment? He's saying, good Christians, that's you and I. He says, in a trying hour, particularly a dying hour, he says, may you also plead. That's us every single day that we live here, every single day that we toil, every single day that we wrestle. He says, now the hour has come. Stand by me. Appear for me, Jesus, now and forever. That's the message he gave the disciples that day. He said, when the hour comes for you, as it is come for me, appear with me. I will appear with you. Stand with me. I will stand with you. Equip me. I will equip you. In fact, there's a Holy Spirit. That when I leave, you will receive. But if I'm here, you can't get them. You won't get them. So this sorrow and this grief that you feel right now, do you understand that greater works shall you do when I equip you with the spirit of God? My God. There it is. All right. I, I mean, who, who want to step in the ring with that? Yeah, and uh, what I love about this is, and I know we don't even have this scripted right now, do we? You know, Satan thinks that, bam, when Jesus died, oh, I won, and he started boasting, and he was looking for the belt, but the referee never counted 10. The referee never got to 10, and Jesus rose, and Satan was defeated. And we need to hold that when we read this passage about this idea of being unified. And we can understand because we have the end of the story. Now, the disciples didn't see that yet. But we see the, the, the whole story which gives us even more to be unified over. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive into the actual scripture here that we're gonna use. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. If you've got it with you, if not, it's gonna be on the screen back here, okay? These are Jesus's words. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. Please understand, he just finished praying for the disciples themselves. And now he's entering into this prayer for us for you and me, literally for you and me, okay? My prayer is not just for them, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And we are the recipients of the message that is written down in scripture that the disciples lived out and taught and has been passed down generationally and generationally and generationally, all right? 
And he goes on, he says, verse 21, that all of them, you and I, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I had given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Do you see this? This oneness idea? I in them and you in me, and here's the punchline, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He goes on, Father, I want those you had given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Lou, you just took it touched upon that. The glory you had given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, it gets kind of convoluted, but the real, the real thing that Jesus is talking here and he's reminding not only his disciples, but most importantly us, this idea of unity, we need to be one. Lou, you said in the first, uh, in the first hour that the status of the church is good. Yeah. And I totally agree with you on that. Now, the world will say that we're fractured. And yes, there is some fracture. We are not perfect. But I would say that the status of the church is good. We are doing well. Is there room to improve? Oh, yeah. Okay. But we are slowly becoming unified in what is happening within our world, what is happening with us. And this unity is so important because as we stay unified, as we saw the unity in the disciples, as we, let me back up, as we saw the unity of Jesus and the Father, as we saw the unity between Jesus and the disciples and the disciples themselves and the churches that they started, one of the things that we can see is that unity is directional. Unity is directional and it has generational implications. If we can be a unified people that are moving in the same direction, we become an unstoppable force. And it's the force that Jesus, the power that Jesus gives us through the Holy Spirit that fills us. Now, Jesus said in John 15... He says that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, he is talking directly to the disciples there, and he's giving us and he's demonstrating this unity that he has between the Father and the Son. And think about that. Jesus says, as I have loved you, is the same way that I have loved the Father. It's the same way the Father has loved me is the way I have loved you. And that love, and you can see it, you can almost see kind of a stair step of how it works. God the Father loves the Son completely and perfectly. The Son equally loves the Father completely and perfectly. But the Son also loves the disciples completely and perfectly. And now... The unity, the goal is for us to emulate those very same attributes of love in perfection. Now, we ain't perfect. 
We have a hard time getting along and just being nice to the people that live under the same roof with us. Not my wife and I. We are perfect. No, I'm lying. <laughs> She's about ready to throw something at me any second now, okay? Yeah. But perfect love, perfect love wants me, motivates me, drives me to bring value to anybody and everybody that I come in contact with. Because with love that the Father has shared with the Son, that the Son has shared with us, he is constantly bringing value and showing us value. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear that, John, and, I, and, and I'm just immediately thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and what he does, right, in, in helping us to create that unity. We don't do that of our own strength. Through the love of Christ, yep. in the work of the Holy Spirit, that unity happens. That's, that's where that happens. You know, I think one of the things... You're absolutely right. I think one of the greatest things that, that separates us, and we're seeing it this week, that can, is the easiest way to break up unity, to, ready for me to be Captain Obvious, for disunity, okay, is fear. Fear drives us out of that unity, and fear gets us to question what real love is. First John chapter four says that real love is this, he says that there is no fear in love. Now think about that in regards to relationships with your husbands and wives, with your parents, with your children, all right? There is no fear in love. In fact, perfect fear drives out, or excuse me, perfect love drives out fear because fear has everything to do with punishment. And unity is understanding that our God loves us so greatly that he did not come to punish. He came to save. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, Jesus tells us. But yet our fear says, and we are afraid to be united with Christ because we think he came to hit the smite button on us. It is just the opposite. We stand under the smite button until Jesus' blood washes us and he brings us in the fold and the smite button isn't there anymore. All right? Lou, we talked about this. We were, you know, we wrestled with this and we went back and forth and we really wanted to hammer home this idea that, that unity is something within the Trinity, that we see within the Holy Trinity, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I can tell you, that I, can, I can tell you I believe it. I can't explain it though, okay? But I do believe in God the Father. I do believe in Jesus the Son. And I do believe in the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same and they're complete and they're perfect and all of that. And then I, I don't know. My brain is too small. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the, the, the short match in the box. No, or but I, I think that that's the powerful part of that, right? And, and it's what I love about this chapter, John, is that there are many standards. Mm -hmm. Chapter 17 is a standard prayer. Mm-hmm. It also is a standard model for unity, mm -hmm. as you just talked mm -hmm. about 
in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that standard we found in the scripture, and I'll read it here again in a moment, we found three things that, that, that chapter 17 verses 20 through 23, they highlight. Number one, we find that they highlight that there was one in identity. Mm -hmm. There were one in the knowledge of the truth. Mm -hmm. One, and it teaches us one, oneness in the knowledge, excuse me, in the works mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Right. It also teaches us surrender, which we'll talk about here shortly. But let, let me first read John 17, 20 through 23. It says, I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their message. That's us, the church. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them. You are in me. May they be made completely one, God, so that the world may know you have sent me. One in identity. It's the first point here. One in identity. I love the way Paul paints this picture. And sort of looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. In terms of identity, Jesus said, hey, listen, when I leave, you're going to be exposed to this world. In fact, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. Like your, 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 your lifestyle, as you know it today, right now, it will change. So he said, listen. You need to be one in identity. So Paul shows us in Philippians 1, 12, 14. Mm -hmm. he's, he, he, he writes a letter, even to the church of Ephesus, which we see in, in Ephesians. Mm -hmm. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord. I stopped there when I read the scriptures. I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is Paul's identity. He didn't say, he could have said, as a prisoner of this government. Mm-hmm. As a prisoner of the premier. Mm -hmm. No, he said, as a prisoner of the Lord. Where are you right now? Where in your life? Where do you stand right now? And, and how do you identify to the situation, to the circumstance? Or do you attach your identity with eternity? That's exactly what Paul does here. He binds his identity to eternity. It's amazing. This is, and y'all have heard me say this before, I think identity is so important and who we are, whose we are, will define what we do. Uh, I think we, we've said it here before, when I know who I am, I know what to do. I will tell you, I plagiarized the fool out of that from Todd Gaston, okay? I guess it's not plagiarism now. I referenced him, okay? When we know who we are, we know what to do. And I firmly believe, and this is one of the things that I struggle with as, as human, okay? There's a number of things that I want to be known by. Mm -hmm. But all of those things are temporal. Right. And the only person, the only individual that gets to name me and identify me yeah. is the very person that made me. All right? Yeah. 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 So being one in identity 
is huge. When we know who we are, when we know whose we are, it's easier to hold on to the unity and say all of these things that want to attack me, nope, nope, not true, not true, not true, not true. Don't like it, don't have to like it because my identity is in who Jesus says. You know, and, and it takes the fight directly to where it needs to be. Yep. Because disunity, where's disunity? In a false identity. Yep. If we know the truth, then we know the lie. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Number two, knowledge in the truth. Mm. Knowledge of the truth. That is how we achieve this unity. And I would encourage you to read through the book of Ephesians. Because Paul really lays it out. How to live a life, our lives, as believers. In it, you'll learn about a couple of things. God's rich blessings. You'll learn about the power of Jesus. Our transformation from life to death. You'll learn about unity in Christ. Our spiritual power and how to live as a Christian. But I love, I love the pattern in Ephesians and how Apostle Paul, how he goes through that in this letters. And then he, he... He shows us that this unity isn't an ecclesiastical sort of organizational unity. He depends on the Holy Spirit to do that, to guide us in this truth. Because he knows when we do that, here's how truth comes. And here's what appears. Our behavior begins to follow our belief. Oh, amen. Our walk is a result to what we believe, Yep, church. What, tr- what truth have you bound yourself to? I would admonish you, us, yeah. to do that in the word of God. Bind our truth, that truth. We anchor it to the word of God. And then we put it into daily practice for eternal position in Christ. And then we act on that truth. Mm. We, this is someplace I, I think that we do, and, and we've talked about this. You guys know this. One of the things that we are seeing, even within what's, what's transpiring in our world in the last three years, all right, that truth is so stinking fluid. Right. Yeah. That we begin to say everything is gray. There is no black and white. I, 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 would, I would propose mm-hmm. that truth is knowable, all right? That there is such thing as very real truth. And I would also suggest that truth is not kind of like a buffet line that I can pick and choose what I want to believe is true, all right? Truth is not relevant. There are certain things that are very true. You don't have to believe in the truth of gravity. You don't have to believe in truth. But if you jump off a second story roof, there's a chance that maybe you'll realize that things really do fall at 9.8 meters per second square. It's just a truth. It may be an inconvenient truth, but it's a truth. All right? Yeah. And and that's good, John, because um, what, 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 like for me, I'll just put myself out there. A truth that I thought was raised in the church, I'm good. Mm-hmm. My dad's a pastor. I've heard millions of sermons, been in millions of revivals. I'm good. But not until I 
had an encounter mm -hmm. with God mm -hmm. and his truth, did change really come? Mm -hmm. That I really became a, 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 a part of this family mm -hmm. of believers. That's when that happened to me because here's the thing, church. There are not multiple ways to truth as a believer. There are not multiple sources of truth. Jesus knew the Father's will and he did it. That was truth. And so it's true to all Christians as well. But what seeds disunity? A false sense of maturity like I did? No time in prayer or service in the word? As John talked about politics, gun control, you know, all, all those sort of topics. Even jealousy, covetousness. That's where the Bible puts it. Truth. What we act on. As long as we get into this. In yeah, go, go ahead, one John. One thing in go this. Ahead. I think it's our preferences mm. can really mess with truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Our preferences. We need to be mindful of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to throw that No, in. no, no, yeah. no, no. And, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll move to the third point here is what the standard of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and what Jesus prays in chapter 17, what it also teaches us is this. We need to be one in the works of the Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is unity by virtue of the existence of the church. Christ said upon him, he builds the church. And no gates of hell shall prevail against mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. No gates of hell shall prevail against us. So listen, we, we aren't able to create this unity. The Holy Spirit does that when he created the church, which is us, the spiritual body. So our responsibility, church, is to preserve the unity mm. in order to accomplish what Paul says here. He says, life is I'm sorry, life, live a life, excuse me, that is worth your calling. Mm. Every day, live a life that is worth your calling. But to do that, it goes to our fourth point here. We have to do as Jesus modeled again. It's all about surrender. Yeah. Yeah. This is living a life worthy of our calling begins with this idea of, of surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we will not surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything else doesn't fall into place here. I will tell you, there was a, a number of years ago, I uh, was, was at uh, the Billy Graham Retreat Center up in the, the mountains of North Carolina. And it was just me, and, uh, but they've got a chapel in the woods there. And in that chapel up in the upper room, there is this table. It's probably about an eight-foot diameter table. And around it, there are cushions on the floor. Table sits about the height of a coffee table. But right in the middle of this was a globe. And I, I, I got a little video of, of what was kind of going through my mind here when I was looking at that globe. Of how big the world is and how big our God was. And as I began to look at that, I started thinking, okay, well, where's the, where, where's the United States within this? Okay, where's, where's Virginia within this? Where's Stafford within this? And then where's my house? 
And the realization is that I came to the, my gosh, in the whole big scheme of things, I'm a dot of a dot of a dot. All right? And I guess sometimes in my thinking, I always thought that, you know, my job as a Christian was to save the world. One, I'm not Jesus. That's Jesus' job, and he already did it. But my job is to acknowledge my dot, my life, my sphere of influence. And it was my job to surrender that dot to Jesus. And that's what I'm asking us today. And this is where I'm asking you, are you ready? Have you? Have you forgotten? Have you taken it back up? Have you never surrendered your dot, your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because without that, I promise you, there will be no unity. There will be no unity between your, your brain and your heart. There will be no peace. And we will not, you will, I will, we cannot reflect Jesus and the Holy Spirit to a world if we are not surrendered to him. We can fake it. We can fake it for a while, but eventually we will fail because we like what we want when we want it, how we want it. It's all about me if I'm not surrendered. And eventually that comes out. Hey, I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. Lou, we're going to land this plane and then we're going to enter into the Lord's Supper together as a family. But I want to share one idea, the idea of unity. Yes, it brings peace within us. But I want to share Jesus' very words. One of the reasons, the reason why he prayed this prayer for us to be unified, to be one. And Jesus says, may they also, meaning you and me, all of us, may they also be in us connected with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that, so that the world may believe that you, God, has sent, have sent me, yeah. Jesus, to the world. When we live a life surrendered, we reflect the glory of God in Jesus Christ. When I say we don't rejoice and be in your face about some court decision. It takes the glory from Jesus away and says, look at me, I won. No, we lose in that case. But when I am united with the Spirit, as I say again, when I realize who I am, I know what to do, and I begin to love people right where they are because that's where God loves me, right where I am, right where you are. That brings us to unity. Hey, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, kind of wrap this thing up real quick. I'm gonna turn this over to you, Lou, in just a second. Fredericksburg campus, we're about to... Uh, go into this time of the Lord's Supper. And so in just a minute, we're gonna kind of turn it over for you all so that you can participate in the Lord's Supper together. 
as a body down there. But I want you to understand this. This table, yes, it is remembrance of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but it is also a place of unity where we, as, we come together as believers as one, recognizing the depth of God's love for us as an individual. Now, I will tell you, for us to come to this table, one thing I'm gonna ask you is that you need to surrender your dot. You need to surrender your life and become unified with the Holy Spirit. Become unified with Jesus the Son. Become unified with God the Father. If that is not you, if you have not surrendered your dot or you keep on picking it up, our prayer team is gonna be up here at Stafford. I know at Fredericksburg, the prayer team will be there as well. Pastor Caleb, Pastor Bobby are there as well. But here, if you need to surrender before you take the Lord's Supper, why don't you come forward? Not to shame you. Not to shame you. Oh, no. To embrace you. Been there, done that. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for Pastor Lou. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for the passion that you have poured into him. Most importantly, Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word that speaks truth to us, that gives us instruction, that truly is a lamp unto our feet as we walk this path of life. God, may we surrender to you and may we allow ourselves to be completely unified in you and in doing so, being, become unified with others. And God, if there is anyone here who has not surrendered, would you give them the courage and the authority and the power to surrender their life to you? God, you are moving. We know you are. We hear your word. May we now apply it as you ask us to do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.